You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry. And before we get into this week's interview, I just want to let you know about our three amazing sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. MailChimp is the premier email service provider choice for entrepreneurs and small businesses. Join more than 7 million people who use MailChimp to design and send 500 million emails every day. If it started, I mentioned this before, MailChimp now has a free course on Skillshare that's titled Getting Started with Email Marketing that'll help you learn the basics. Go to Skillshare, search for MailChimp to enroll in the course. Also, if you have MailChimp, the iOS app, it also now works on the Apple Watch in case you happen to have the Apple Watch. It's pretty cool. Um, sign up for a free account today at MailChimp.com. Need a new domain for your next project? Then check out Hover. Each domain comes with free private domain registration, unlimited domain forwarding, and world-class customer support. Grab yourself a domain today and use the promo code SPREADLOVE and save 10% off your purchase. If you add Hover Mail to your order, you can save $10. That offer expires in just a few days on April 30th. Creative Market sells graphics, fonts, themes, photos, and a whole lot more, starting at only $2. They give away a new selection of free goods every Monday. Today's Monday. You want to check that out. And they also have great bundle promotions every month. Head on over to creativemarket.com and jump on it. And now for this week's interview, I talked with Marshall Shorts, an entrepreneur, artist, teacher, and designer in Columbus, Ohio. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Marshall Shorts, and I am a creator, designer by day, artist at heart, and you know, I make my living making things for other people. Tell me about your creative consultancy. Uh, so Solo Theory Creative is a small shop I started a couple of years ago. I've always had the entrepreneurial mind, and so design was the best kind of vehicle for me to, one, you know, sort of stay in a creative space and also make a little money. So I've played around with a number of different ideas and businesses, and a couple of years ago I was in a position to have to sort of branch out on my own, and so henceforth uh, Solo Theory Creative was born. And we do uh, primarily... You know, work with small businesses, nonprofits, and the public and some private sector. And we do a lot of things around branding and sort of advertising and design. So how long has uh, Solo been around? Solo has been around since I was probably in high school. That was my little high school tag name when I was getting into graffiti and things like that. But Solo Theory Creative, it sort of started in its infancy while I was in college and I started freelancing. It's had a number of different iterations, so it was Solo Theory Art and Design. But Solo Theory Creative really started around 2011, officially. That's when I became Mm -hmm. sort of a legal entity. And since then, like you said, you've been able to work with a lot of larger clients. Mm -hmm. Do you have like a small team that you work with? Is it like a collective? Yes, it's more of a collective than it is, you know, an in-house team. And so I've, I've been blessed to really... I have a, a partner who, who does a lot of my web-based stuff, so he's more of a developer. But we primarily work remotely, so when we have okay. projects. And then I have, sort of have some <laughs> subcontractors that I use when I need to pull in more help on certain projects. And so that's kind of how I've been working in sort of this startup phase and as I'm growing. I've always had the idea that I wanted to maybe grow this into more of an agency and be able to employ other people so that I can maybe move away from designing everything. Right. Uh, but I'll take it as it goes at this point. Well, like you said, Solo has kind of went through a few different iterations. Mm-hmm. So maybe, like you said, that'll be the next phase of it is going into that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's been kind of the secret for you kind of keeping things going? Man, you know, I've been extremely blessed. Being in Columbus is uh, really interesting because it's sort of – probably one of the largest cities in Ohio, but it kind of operates like a small town. And so I've been really blessed. I mean, most of my business comes from word of mouth. There are a number of people who see my my work and reach out or may have been looking for someone and they've been referred to me and have been familiar with my work. And so that's primarily how I've been able to kind of stay afloat. And so in that regard, I've been really blessed to 
to do that. And I think I kind of hit the ground running when I went early on and so sort of made a name for myself early on. And that's really what, what keeps the engine running. You know, every time I, I think it's going to work or, you know, it's kind of lost its edge, you know, I get a phone call to say, yeah. uh, you know, let's, I, I got some work for you. So, yeah. And then I have a couple of steady clients that I've been working with for a number of years. And those are sort of my go-tos and strategic partnerships. And so, and that's really sort of the underlying, that consistency that you, you, you search for as an entrepreneur. I know what you mean about that, that, that kind of feeling when, even when things just, as soon as they start to die down, something happens. I swear every time I take a break for any kind of reason, like if I'm out of town for a week or if I'm at a conference or something, right. it seems like at that specific time, I get leads coming in. Yeah. Clients are like, I need this. I need this. I'm like, are you serious? I, right. Like, do right. I need to take more time off in order for this to happen? It's, it's, it's kind of weird how that ends up. So for those that are listening, I know that there are people out here that are, that maybe want to be where you are. They want to start their own small business. Maybe mm-hmm. they're freelancing. Maybe they're working in an agency or something. Mm-hmm. They want to break out on their own. Talk to me about your, your intake process for new clients. Like, say I'm a new client. I'm interested in working with solo theory creative what's the process where do we start it really sort of what we're doing now we, we start with some sort of consultation i, I want to get a feel for where you are and it's kind of changed over time so early on i was really on the sort of the one stop the hit it and you know sort of quit it model where you know you need a logo all right i'll design your logo and i'm done here more recently i've taken a more introspective approach and so i find that a lot of people that are saying they want a logo really are needing branding or, you know, something a little more in depth and to grow their business. And so I typically start with a consultation or somebody will contact me via email or through the website form. Uh, We'll set up some time to talk, maybe a Skype interview. If they're local, we'll set up some time, you know, maybe meet at a coffee shop or at my little studio and start there. And then if it's a good vibe and, and, I really want to work with people that I can work with and vibe with it. You know, not all money is good money. Then uh, I'll do that. On the other side, there are opportunities. You know, this is state capital. And so there are a lot of opportunities with sort of RFPs or requests for quotes. So there's that aspect of it where, you know, I really don't care to do do that as much. But, you know, sometimes the the payout is a lot better on those projects because so you do a lot of work on the front end with no guarantee. But then everything kind of comes back to relationships. So, you know, I sort of vet it out to see if, you know, something that or, you know, maybe see if I know anybody on the inside to kind of see if there's another agency that they've been working with that they are probably going to go with. Or so, mm-hmm. I, you know, I try to do my homework prior to sort of working with people. Yeah. RFPs are tricky, man, for, for oh, government yeah. jobs. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I used to work for a government agency for two years. So I would see when RFPs, when we would put out RFPs and see things coming in. And it's weird because mm-hmm. even though they put the RFP out, there's no guarantee that they'll even pick anybody. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, so that, like you said, there is that that gamble of doing all of that oh, work yeah. up front oh, yeah. and then not even getting any sort of a kind of a payoff from right. it. Right, right. What's your secret to like working with RFPs? Because I hate them. I hate working oh, with man. RFPs. I don't bid on them a lot because, like you said, it really is. I believe there's an art to it. So one of my clients is, has a consulting agency, and he's grown his business through really public work and perfecting the RFP. And it's so, but he it's a consulting. He does you know project management, so it's real tedious, and that's that's his personality. But for me. Like I said, it really kind of goes down to homework. One, if I have the capacity to pull it off and then, you know, or can pull together the team to maybe, you know, address that RFP. So I do a lot of homework before I really get, begin sort of creating a proposal and, and doing all of that legwork to sort of better my chances. And then if I'm familiar with the agency or the company that, that's doing the RFP and maybe know someone in there, I'll try to contact them and, a lot of times go to the question and answer. A lot of times for the RFPs, they'll have like a question and answer sort of pre-meeting. So go mm-hmm. there, let my face be shown, shake some hands, really network. And I, I find that, you know, a lot of times <laughs> I may be the only sort of, you know, black agency in the room or 
which sometimes works in my advantage. And then other times it's like, uh, maybe not. So, yeah, well, government stuff is sometimes can. <laughs> exactly. So outside of Solo Theory Creative, you mm-hmm. are the co-founder of, uh, of a conference. Tell me about that. Yes. So a couple of years ago, we started a, an initiative called Creative Control Fest. And it really is a sort of a grassroots effort to expose ethnic and cultural diversity within the creative industries. And this is sort of after the frustration of going to a, a number of different conferences and, and events in my industry and just seeing an extreme underrepresentation of people of color. And growing up, I, I went to school in Cleveland, was performing art school. And so creativity and and, and industry was never separate or as segregated for me until I left and went other places. And so uh, it's kind of mm-hmm. stuck with me. And so this was Creative Control Fest was sort of an idea that me and my partner had to sort of address that issue. We know that there are creators of color out here, a lot of them that are doing great, influential work. And I think what was most I guess glaring for us was that when we would go to maybe how or you know weapons of mass creation you know there was a lot of things that we saw that were sort of founded within the black community or in hip hop culture that wasn't popular maybe when we were going to school and when we first went to school but now it's like mainstream and so it's almost like the the music game where you know once it goes mainstream it it sort of takes on a different face Right. We just wanted to create an avenue and a space where we could sort of control that narrative and create a space where representation, there's a little more representation for people who may be wanting to get into these industries to see a face that is doing well or see a face that is, you know, maybe where you are. You know, even if you're not in this industry, how do you take creative control in the industry where you are and you may not see a face that looks like yours? And so it's not exclusive just the people of color or, or, you know, the black community. We've had speakers from any number of uh, backgrounds and ethnicities and races and things like that. But it really is aimed at exposing people of color in creative industries to these industries or people in within those industries to other people. So, And that's something that is really, you know, so important. I know there's a lot of talk uh, when it comes to diversity and design about the pipeline and about exposure and, you know, when do you expose people to design in order for them to really have kind of this cultural awareness of it, mm-hmm. but also to know that this is something that is a profession. Mm-hmm. Um, this is something that I spoke about actually in an episode not too long ago mm-hmm. with uh, with Gabriel Mays. We were talking about design and I was mentioning how design is sort of this ubiquitous thing. It's mm-hmm. something that touches everything we do. So we are like fully immersed in design without Absolutely. even really being aware of it, of, of, you know, of what it is, like the chairs we sit in, you know, the desks that we write at, someone had to design mm-hmm. all of that. But we don't even, I think, even take that into account. So outreach and events like Creative Control Fest are, are really important to help get the word out. What's been the feedback that you've gotten from the event so far? It's been, you know, great for the most part. It's funny that you say that because that is a big part of the motivation as to why I think I got into this work, you know, with doing creative control outside of sort of my day to day. I was an industrial design major in school. And so I wanted to design shoes and products and things like that. And not very many people know <laughs> what industrial design is. And like you said, that's your chair you sit in. That's the car you drive. It's, it's our cell phones. So when I, you know, maybe talk to students and I say, how many of you like to wear Jordans? How many of you like to draw? How many of you like to draw shoes? And I said, well, how many of you know what an industrial designer is? And they're like, no hands go up. And mm-hmm. so I think, and I'm sorry if I deviated a little bit, but um, I think that has been a key factor in what we do and how we do it. And I think that's important, that exposure. Early on, I honestly wasn't exposed to industrial design until I actually got to college and they had all the majors on display when you first get there. So I thought I was going to go into like illustration or advertising graphic design. But when I saw ID, I was like, man, you know, I kind of get everything (laughs) within this one major. Mm -hmm. And so although I'm not necessarily working in that field now, it really shaped 
my perception of design as function and design in effect to our everyday lives. So have you put together an event like Creative Control Fest before? Is this like the first kind of big scale thing you've done like this? It is the first that we've done on this magnitude, but I have experience doing events probably since 2009. And even before that, I was in a fraternity in college. And so we would throw parties and conferences on there. But in terms of like sort of on my own, we did an event in Columbus called the Brush Experience, where it was a paint by numbers event where we would try to, you know, kind of present the arts in African-American culture and in, in a social experiment, so to speak, where we would blend music, art. I mean, this was prior to like the paint and wine and the, the wine and paint and all of these things. And, and, you know, that was sort of where it started. And that's kind of what made Creative Control Six for us a little bit sort of easier because we we were able to kind of draw from an audience we had created with doing that event for a number of years prior to. Yeah, we have a few of those down here in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. I know we have. Uh, That's actually function. where I got the idea. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, I had a buddy that uh, lived in that. He moved to Atlanta. He, he was like, man, you know, this is right up your alley. And it was called Paint by Numbers. I don't know. If yeah, yeah. That. And this was probably 07, 08. And he was like, man, you know, do this in Columbus. And although it's similar, we, we kind of took a different spin on it. But that's what the inception of it came from. I really love the Atlanta sort of black art scene. And I've studied it for or watched it from afar for a very long time. So yeah, we've got paint by numbers. We've got funk jazz cafe. I mean, yeah, there's, yeah. there's always like different kinds of events here, which I, it's interesting. You know, the I think that when when people think about Atlanta, they see it as sort of like a big party city, right. which I mean, it is. It definitely has that party kind of entertainment sort of vibe to it. But it also has like a super rich black art scene here the national black arts festival Uh is here it's headquartered here but it's also here every year even the neighborhood that i'm in which is the uh the west end i mean we've got theaters we've got cultural events and things that are going on so a lot of people i think kind of sleep on that they don't really see atlanta as kind of a a black arts i don't want to say mecca but Mm -hmm. kind of a black arts destination in a way yeah absolutely so with Creative Control Fest, what are some of the things you've learned since you put it on? It's going into its fourth year now, right? Yes, yes. It, it's a lot of work. <laughs> um, <laughs> and consistency is key. So I think, you know, consistent content throughout the year is important. But one of the more salient points is really I've learned that having a strong collective or a strong community from which, where you can pull resources and where you can sort of call on that community to do things is very important. And so none of this would have happened had we not had that. And so if, if, like you said, if somebody was looking to get into these fields or start something on their own, I think, you know, one of the the major things is kind of start where you are and, and you already have a community. And if you don't have a community of people that support you and you all support each other to find that community, and that's where it starts, because when it gets tough, you're going to need those people to kind of encourage you to move forward and take those risks with you. Well, speaking on that a little bit, what are some of the challenges that you face with Creative Control Fest every year? Raising money. <laughs> <laughs> Columbus kind of has this idea of like waiting to the last minute. So it's, it's real lax around here when in terms of like registration and things like that. Some other pieces are like, you know, since it's a grassroots effort, you can't fund everything, every single aspect. So sort of keeping content going throughout the year that keeps it in people's on people's radar and then dedicating the time outside of sort of making a living to put it on. So really having to discipline yourself enough to or your whole team having to discipline yourself enough to make time to do it, you know, until it gets to a place where, you know, we can do it full time. I think that is, you know, really challenging. And then, of course, you spoke to it earlier about not everybody's going to buy into what you're doing. And so finding those people who are into it. So I do want to talk definitely about that raising money aspect Mm -hmm. and and sort of keeping it top of mind, because even though, I mean, events like this, it's an annual event, but it's still something that really you're thinking about kind of all the time. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Like leading up to it. You're thinking about who you can bring in 
for speakers or who you can talk to for sponsorships. So even though the event might be two or three days, Mm -hmm. you're still thinking about it like the other 363 days of the year. Absolutely. Leading up to that, which I think is something that people need to realize when it comes to events. Like this sort of stuff doesn't just pop up and happen. Like it's a continued, controlled, measured type of effort Mm -hmm. to keep it going. So since you're a conference organizer, I want to ask about like how you find and recruit speakers. You've had some some pretty big names come out and talk. I know last year you had John Jennings, mm-hmm. who's author, professor, mm-hmm. graphic artist. You had Tom Burrell, founder mm-hmm. of Burrell Communications. You know, every year we hear criticism around conferences that end up having these kind of mostly basically white male mm-hmm. speaker panels. And then when someone brings it up to them, the feedback is sort of, I guess it's a little <laughs> harsh sometimes right. where, where the conference organizer is like, how dare you even right. bring that up to me? But since you are a conference organizer, you know, I kind of have to ask you, how is that process of choosing speakers? Do you like put out a call for proposals? Like, how does it work specifically for a creative control fest? I think for me, <laughs> follow when we spoke about Atlanta, like I've been following W out of Atlanta for years now. And so I've kind of, over the years, created this list of admirers. I've always kind of sought out people who look like me, who do what I do. And so I kind of have a running list. And there's always, like, new people popping up every day that are doing some really dope stuff. And so I just kind of keep, we kind of keep a running list of people that could be potential speakers. I think the the success of sort of getting these people in has really come from just reaching out and making the ask. You'd be surprised how many people are willing to come to something like this, particularly when, when you're you know, highlighting creators of color and they don't get the opportunity to speak to an audience that looks like them and mm-hmm. are really interested in what you're doing quite often. So really finding those people and making the ask. And I think, you know, more so than finding speakers is really kind of limiting down the people you want to bring in. We probably got a list of speakers, a list of people, potential speakers that could carry us through the next five or six years if we, you know, wanted to. The issue now has kind of been narrowing it down to who's more likely to come. And because we're grassroots, we know we, we aren't always in a position to sort of pay an honorarium that that some of these people might demand. I mean, we're very upfront about that, but we sort of let them know what we're doing and why we're doing it. And uh, they work with us. And so, of course, you know, somebody like Tom Burrell, I mean, what can you really pay him? (laughs) You know what I mean? And so um, I think it's not hard to find really dope people to bring in. Um, The other side of that is, you know, we have a really strong creative community right here in the city. And so for us, it's really important to have that local component very involved. So while we do bring in people from other cities who are doing some very great stuff, we see it as an opportunity to promote the great creativity and, and people who are doing great things right here in Columbus yeah. who may not get the spotlight because of location or that others might get where they are. And so, yeah, I mean, with Unique Jones Gibson, I mean, I really reached out to her and her kick started because I didn't have any contact information for her. And uh, she was like, oh, well, yeah, cool. I'll do it. And so same thing with Tom Burrell. We even went out to visit him. And, and Chicago. where is he in Chicago? He's in Chicago. And so yeah, he, yeah. you know, somebody like him is really looking for opportunities to speak to young black people of color. And so it was right up his alley. And so they came out and he, you know, the energy was good and he was, and then of course, John Jennings is, is just all around great. So <laughs> he, uh, each other a number of times, we kind of met randomly some years ago at Eddie George's here in Columbus. He was here speaking at another conference and I saw his t-shirt and asked him. And so running into him there, then we ran into each other at weapons later on. And then when I was teaching at CCAD, he had come for some kind of comic conference while I was there. So that was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. You and I met at, at weapons yeah, last year absolutely. when I was, when I was speaking there yeah, yeah. and I felt bad because you did ask me to come speak. And I was like, I need this <laughs> and this and this. And, and you know what? And I'll tell you what it is. So, and cause I feel like, kind of a bit of a dick for you well not so much for asking but it's more like 
I already had to put out a bunch of money to get up there. To weapons, right, right. Because, <laughs> like, it's not a cheap flight oh, to yeah. get from Atlanta oh, yeah. to Cleveland, which I thought it would be. I thought it would just be, like, because, yeah, like, to get, from Atlanta to, cause to get from Atlanta to New York is, like, 200 bucks right. on a good day. And I'm thinking, oh, Atlanta to Cleveland shouldn't be that much. And right. I'm looking at tickets, and it's, like, <laughs> 350 400 yeah. And weapons wasn't paying me a whole lot to speak. right. right. And I'm like, uh, this isn't even covering my flight. And I yeah. have to, like, find a hotel. And I yeah. I was like, I really don't want to be like, I need this, this, and this. But I kind of did. Because I did want to come speak. But then it's like, I don't have the money to get up there. Oh, like, if, no, I, if no. I really could, no, and, you I know, would. Whatever I we can you know? subsidize. And, and being an entrepreneur, I understand the importance of really being paid. So it's not that we go out with the expectation that people are going to say yes. And, and when going, we're still young. We still don't have any major backer. So a lot mm-hmm. of our sponsorship funds really get ate up by sort of the utilities of putting the conference on. But, you know, at the very least, if we can offset, you know, if we can pay for your flight or get you here and get you some lodging, we've been blessed to be able to do that. And if we can't, we humble ourselves enough to know that, you know, we're not there yet. But the goal is to get there. And so, but I think there's something to be said about sort of at least making the ask and courting those people who you admire and who you, you would love to hear from. Because, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, I've spoken at a few places. And for the places that I've spoken at that have been outside of Atlanta, mm-hmm. like, truth be told, Weapons was the first place that I've spoken at that actually paid me. Mm-hmm. Everywhere else that I've spoken, they've expected me to pay my own flight, right. pay my own lodging. In some cases, even pay for registration for the conference. Like, that wasn't even waived. Oh, wow. (laughs) So, it's like, you know, like, there's been things that I've really had to turn down. Mm -hmm. Because I would ask even just basic, simple stuff like the flight to get there. And they're, like, scoffing at it. Like, oh, I can't believe you would ask me that. You coming to speak at our conference is a privilege at XYZ. Like, dude, I'm an entrepreneur. I've got so much money I can work with. I'm not balling out of control. Even when I spoke at at South by Southwest, Mm -hmm. I had to raise money to get there because I didn't find out about it until because they did their first round of announcing the panels in October. I didn't find out that, that my presentation was picked until January. Oh, wow. And the event's in March. Yeah. I had just paid my quarterly taxes. Yeah. I broke. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, so now I have to find it. I have to pay $300 plus for a ticket to yeah. Austin. And now I've got to try to find a hotel. Oh, yeah. And all the hotels were already booked. Yeah. And yeah. Was, uh, I, 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 being an entrepreneur has taught me a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't ask for the hookup. I'm like, if I can't pay for it, then I, you know, I'll tell you what I can do. And if you're willing to work with me, then fine. But you, you will not lose any love for me for saying, hey, I can't handle that. Right. So yeah, and I've been asked to speak a number of places, and we don't have that attitude that we're giving you all this exposure. And I think that's something entrepreneurship has taught me because I've had people try to solicit me for work on the basis of exposure. So yeah, exposure doesn't pay the bills. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so unless it's just you know, like you said, somewhere where it's. I mean, I can't deny the exposure, which currently we don't necessarily have that kind of exposure. And I don't know if we necessarily are looking for that. You know, we just really want to cultivate creatives of color and inspire that community. And what we found, even in our little effort, that we've had people from the UK and the West Coast, Nigeria, who have found us because there's not a lot of places that are addressing this issue. Right. It's so interesting. Like if you're, a, would say a person of color, particularly if you're a black person that's like on the speaker mm-hmm. route or, or whatever, I don't know what the best, you know, best way is to call it, mm-hmm. to make sure that you're really kind of saying like, this is what I'm worth if you want me to come out and speak. Because I know for a fact that there are conferences that will pay less for people of color to come speak than they will mm. their white counterparts. Wow. I know that for a fact. Wow. <laughs> or they'll be asked at the last minute or something like mm-hmm. that. So there's all these different sort of like concessions and things that have to be made mm-hmm. even to just to just do it. Like mostly I speak locally because I'm like, at least I know I can get there and get home. Right. It's not a big issue. Right. Um, I would love to speak out more places, but I also would love to not be broke doing it I heard that, you know you know because uh, you know when you're doing it you're taking time out to put together your presentation absolutely to, to practice it you got to fly out there there's days that you're not working 
you know, you should be paid for that if yeah. they really want your, your presence to be there. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that to like put the onus on saying like, oh, CCF needs to pay its speakers. But, nah, you know, that's nah. kind of the the weird sort of flip side of it is that, oh, yeah. you know, it's, there's only so much that that we can do and sort of take time out yeah. to kind of make happen. So has creating and building Creative Control Fest kind of changed your own perception and experiences when you go to conferences? Like, you know how the sausage is made, mm-hmm. basically. Does it change how you even like participate and, and work with conferences? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think engagement at a conference is, is more than anything. Uh, I really enjoy weapons because, you know, it's not this hierarchy, so to speak. So, you know, it's not the speaker comes in and then they're, they're leaving on their plane, you know, right after. So you never get an opportunity to sort of talk to them and interact with them. And so, you know, we really like that sort of vibe. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we're going for. We want to create an intimate, uh, more of an intimate sort of feel. We don't, if you're 20,000, dollars to come and speak you might be well worth that but that may not be for us you know what i'm saying and so yeah i think uh it's really taught me and i honestly say the true value of what you're paying for you know what i mean like if i'm going somewhere and it's people there i really want to interact with and i have and i know i have an opportunity to interact with them i think you know it may be worth the price at the door but i've gone to a number of conferences where you know the the registration might be $500 and I'll walk away with a bag <laughs> and maybe experience <laughs> a, a new, maybe experience in a new city. But I think, you know, I'm, I'm a little more selective about the conferences I would go to and, and more specifically like some of the larger ones, because for me, it's all about the interaction. So yeah, I'm not a big believer in panels, so to speak. We do a panel, but we also try to create room for, for people who sat on that panel to interact with the people who are at the conference because that's sort of where connections are made. And you can only get to so much kind of sitting in the audience and then being talked to for a few minutes. So we want you know want to create an experience where you not only hear from these people and hear their story, but maybe get a chance to interact with these people and build you know what i mean because i think that really adds to adds value to the people who are attending whereas yeah. and i don't you know i don't necessarily think that costs 500 now and i know there are <laughs> conferences that need that and require that overhead and maybe that if that's your money maker for the year you know you can justify that but we try to keep ours reasonable but, but on the flip side i also understand that it costs money to put on a conference even on a small scale that we do it I think last year was the first year we actually walked away with a little something left over. And so mm-hmm. you kind of realize how important it is, particularly when you're speaking to a younger demographic who may not have, have the capital to really invest or a demographic that doesn't necessarily understand the investment of a conference. How do you price that and what's reasonable? And, and so you're not going in a deficit afterwards has really been a learning experience. I want to talk about sponsorship okay. and why that is is so important. I mean, it's important for events, you know, especially important for conferences like you're doing. But I'm thinking when you know when it comes down to really sort of the types of endeavors that you're doing, even you know, like stuff with like what Revision Path mm-hmm. does, Blacks mm-hmm. in Technology, et cetera, where we're really kind of shining a light on. I guess sort of, I don't want to say necessarily like black STEM, but it's like black creativity and Mm -hmm. people of color in this sort of creative field. Mm -hmm. You know, sponsorship is just so important. And I don't want to preach and proselytize about it because I think that anyone that listens to this podcast or has listened to this podcast at any length has heard my sponsorship spiel every episode. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Every episode, I'm like, (laughs) if you're interested, if you like what we're doing leave a tip in our tip jar mm-hmm. sponsored episode or, or something like that. Talk to me about sponsorship for a conference like Creative Control Fest and why it's so important. We struggle with this in regards to the levels of sponsorship and the levels of autonomy because, you know, if you have a major underwriter, what they might require for their sponsorship may relinquish real creative control over the content that you're trying to create. But it is also important that you have sponsorship because one, it, it 
also validates the right sponsorship validates what you're doing. So that's saying that this company is really willing to get behind this idea, which lends itself to maybe other companies investing as well or sponsoring as well. I think it also works to offset your costs. <laughs> you know what I mean? Which and I'm a big proponent of, you know, sort of making your way and creating things that will generate money internally. But but sponsorship really offers that, if not costs, you know, if not money sponsors, you know, those in-kind sponsorships really help as well because that adds value to what you're doing. And so I think even though we're grassroots, we still look for sponsorships and it's really a relationship. So you really want to align yourself with companies that have similar values as you that aren't afraid to sort of deal with the content that you're dealing with. And what we've learned is that there's an art to that. And we're still learning this, you know, we're still filling it out. We're still finding people who will get behind something like this. And then the other piece is how are you adding value to those companies when it comes to diversity? You know, the landscape is changing and the only way to get diversity and ideas is to truly have diversity in people. And so, you know, I think we're ahead of the game in that in that regard because we're speaking to specific needs of specific people, which is important because a lot of stuff gets lost in diversity. And so we look for sponsors that understand like there are different cultural nuances when it comes to people of color and that their needs may be different. You know, black people's needs are different than others. And so while we're all the same, in some regards, you know, there are specific cultural needs and spaces that we need to feel safe in. And so it's a learning curve. But to your question, man, sponsorship is a key component, I think. Not necessarily to rely totally on sponsorship, in my opinion, but having sponsorship and having the right type of sponsorship is important. And this is no shot at the Black Enterprise Conference, but, you know, I went to that and it was it was nationwide conference. You know what I mean? But it takes that kind of underwriting to make sure that this conference happens and that aligns right with Black Enterprises content and so on and so forth. So for us being small grassroots, we look for those sponsors that are really interested in the work that we're doing and that will allow us the autonomy that we want to have with this event. I looked at, at the sponsorship pack and I like that you have a very wide range of sponsorships that people can mm-hmm. get in on. I think the lowest mm-hmm. was $50, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like from fifty up to to five thousand. Yeah. And now is, is Creative Control Fest free or is that a, a no, ticket event? No, no. We 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 pay, you know, we have a registration. It it's not astronomical and we've gotten some critiques about actually not charging enough. So we've considered that. But we also wanna we're all small local businesses yeah. here. And so I think offering an opportunity for those those small people who want to support or those small endeavors who want to support and businesses want to support an opportunity to, to do that. That's where those low sponsorships come from. And then, you know, again, we're talking about, you know, maintaining our creative control. So <laughs> we actually are ex- expanding our sponsorship packages this year, but to get some more funding or to offer opportunities for bigger sponsorship, because we've sort of kind of built, up a reputation but i think kind of having that that variety and then when you're shopping your sponsors kind of know where you want them to the level you want them to come at in so although we have a packet we also understand that you know this is sort of uniform to have a packet but the people that you really want on your ticket you want to sort of uh court them a little bit and build a relationship we want those people to sponsor us for years to come you know yeah so Kegler and Brown, for instance, they are a, a law firm, <laughs> but they see the tech space. They see, you know, the creative space as a growing space. And they understand the need for people of color, for black creatives to get into the, these fields. And so they they're like, yeah, we, we're about it. <laughs> but they're local. They're one of the bigger firms in the city. But they're like, yeah. And, and people wouldn't necessarily even draw the correlation between, you know, a law firm and a creative conference. But one of the things that we do is artist development and understanding your your legal rights as an entrepreneur, protecting your your designs and things like that. And so they see a direct niche, so to speak, in this field. Yeah, man, sponsorship is 
is tough. I wrestle with that a lot with uh, with Revision Path. Like when I started out with it, um, and we did episode sponsorships. I only did it for twenty bucks an episode because I figured mm-hmm. that would be accessible enough for most people to mm-hmm. you know kind of come in and and want to sponsor. And oh boy, the hate mail I would get about how twenty dollars <laughs> is too expensive and. Why would I give you twenty dollars if yeah. you're broadcasting the episodes for free? And it was like, <laughs> oh my god! But you know, what, everything you know what's costs money, <laughs> right? But you know what's interesting though? I raised it to a hundred dollars uh-huh. and started getting sponsors. Oh wow. wow! I mean, there were still the people that were like, "There's no way I'll pay a hundred dollars." But then there were other people that were like, "A hundred dollars? Okay." Yeah, yeah. It's tricky. You have to. I mean, I think the good thing because you know it's still a fairly small event is that you can experiment Mm -hmm. and pivot really fast in case something doesn't really work out. You can really kind of shift gears Mm -hmm. there. So, you know, yeah, people are listening to support your black creatives. Yeah. It's important. It's important to help fund the efforts that we're doing because you know, it's, it's helping out the community. It's not, I mean, I think, I think as, as we probably both can attest to this, like nobody's getting rich off of this. No, no. You know, the reasons that, that we're kind of doing it are, are not for monetary gain in right. any respect. Right. Yeah. So we're asking for money. It's so we can keep it going at the level that it's at for mm-hmm. the community. Mm-hmm. And I know my team feels this way. If we could do it for free, I mean, we would. But you know what I mean? But that would require maybe someone coming in and, and dropping us a half a million dollars to do this. But it's not ours at that point. And so it's definitely not to, like you said, get rich off of anybody. But we understand that if our community is is thriving, our community is growing in these fields, that it ultimately is better for our local creative economy and our global creative economy if we're opening these doors and creating these opportunities. And so it is a direct, you know, for me, a correlation to my business. <laughs> you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. Absolutely. So let's kind of bring this back. I know we spent mm-hmm. a lot of time talking about Creative Control Fest, but let's bring this back to you. Mm-hmm. What advice has really stuck with you the longest? In terms of... Anything. Just in, like, in life. Yeah, just life advice. So when we first met with, with Tom Burrell, and, and, and I've had a lot of advice that has stuck, but for me, you know, sort of talking to somebody who's a seasoned business person who has had a, a level of success in his business and and sort of, you know, blazed a trail is this idea of cost benefit. And, you know, really that's how I approach a lot of things. And and one of the you know, the cost benefit is is, you know, and this is decisions we have to make all the time. You know, there are opportunities we might have that benefit us a whole lot, but may cost a whole lot of people some grief. I mean so at that point, you know, you have to decide whether your personal gain is more important than the grief of a lot of other people. And then on the other side of that, you know, it may be some sacrifices you make that cost you a little something, but benefit a whole lot of people. And so for me, navigating in a business space, and not everything is that black or white, you know, it's costing me a lot. There is some middle ground there where it's a good benefit for you and the other people that you're working for. But I think that was really impactful for me because in this space, you know, having a, a small shop, a design shop, you come up against that a lot. And so sort of having a level of practicality in, in how you approach it is very important. And so it's really helped me work through a lot of things. Some of those RFPs or taking on a big project that I probably wouldn't, you know what I mean? And so or probably shouldn't. And even in personal experiences, what's the cost benefit of you buying this TV or you buying this new car? Or, you know what I mean? It's, as an entrepreneur where your, your income is variable, and I have a son, he's 10. And so, you know, there are a lot of things I want to do. I'm like, ah, oh, man, you know, but I, I have to think about oh. that. So, yeah. Are you kind of pushing your son into design as well? Is he interested in it? No, I just want him to be aware <laughs> he's really into science oh cool and so what i have done is sort of try to introduce him to computer science computer engineering so that as he thinks about science he thinks about it in a tech space too which is sort of related to what i do 
but I'm careful about pushing him into any one direction. He is creative. He's a you know he's a writer. He enjoys drawing. So I just want to surround him with these things, but I don't want to necessarily force him into designing or any specific thing. I want to make sure I support his interests as well. So with with everything that you're doing with your business with you know with Creative Control Fest, do you feel satisfied creatively? There are days I do and there are days I don't. I'm very satisfied with what we've been able to do with Creative Control Fest because we really built community around this and so seeing like people who've come and left the conference and started back screenplay writing or just people from our, our group have has catapulted and inspired their music careers and even the venue in which we hold it it sort of fostered this incubation program that they have at that theater and they so i'm really satisfied with sort of the gains we've made with the conference and it being a place of inspiration and a, and a catalyst for change in terms of business, you know, that's an ebb and flow off. So that's a roller coaster. So, mm-hmm. um, but, you know, at the same time, I have a hard time sort of envisioning myself in a nine to five or a traditional or more traditional setting. But there are those days I'm like, man. Hey, uh, I hear you. <laughs> you know, I hear that <laughs> loud and clear. But oh, my God. It yeah, is gratifying, man, to have those liberties, so to speak, in particular because. I live in Columbus. My son lives in Cleveland. So it allows me to be a little more nimble and being active in his life. And so uh, for that reason, I'm good, man. I'm truly blessed. Where do you see yourself in the next like five years or so? In the next five years, I see myself maybe married, maybe another child on the way. I'm engaged. I just recently got engaged in December. Congratulations. Um, But I'm in a economic frame of mind these days. So I really see growth in my business to the extent where one of the reasons I started my own business was so that I always had this this thought of from inner city Cleveland. And so I've, I, you know, the school I went to, I was always surrounded by like some of the most talented people in the world, but the arts and, and their craft wasn't necessarily supported in their home, which kind of speaks to your point earlier about early exposure and in, and encouraging it, I was truly blessed in that fashion. And so a big part of my motivation since the sixth grade is creating opportunity for other people. And so I see solo theory kind of being this catalyst to provide opportunity for other businesses, for young creatives coming up and sharing those experiences that I've learned over the years. If that's in the form of an agency or or a bigger agency, so be it. But I, I, or if it's, you know, a hybrid of that. That's sort of where I see myself. I've gotten started doing a lot more writing and trying to get where you are on this consistency with content. Where I am. Oh, <laughs> man, you are like one of the most consistent and, you know, apparently uh, organized brothers that I've met in that space wow, uh, online. Thank you. And so uh, <laughs> thank you. I definitely, particularly, and you're an entrepreneur. So I'm like, man, how does he find the time to even? do this we'll so, talk after yeah we'll, yeah <laughs> <laughs> so i kind of see my role changing in that aspect um and then and of course you know you're always looking for more sustainable sort of income or uh, i don't want to say income but projects i would love to start developing more products and things like that so just to kind of wrap everything up where can our audience find out more about you more about mm-hmm. creative control fest where can they follow what you're doing online i'm open book i'm on facebook i'm on twitter i probably got about four or five different twitter accounts all under different but solotheory.com is you know where I, my bread and butter that's how i make my living that's where you can see some of the work i've done and my company has done anyway creative control fest is at its own uh, URL creativecontrolfest.com and then I'm on Twitter at Mr. Shorts Creates and also on Instagram at Mr. Shorts Creates and then if you are looking for you know updates on creative control on those outlets it's at shut up and create on Instagram man. and that's your motto right yes yeah shut up and create man I hear that <laughs> 
All right, Marshall Shorts, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for really kind of breaking down a lot of what you do with Creative Control Fest and really illustrating the importance of it. It sounds like it's something that is really a big part of the creative scene in Columbus. So my hat goes off to you for being able to put together an event like that that really has has brought a community together. So again, thank you so much for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem. Thank you for having us. Uh, like I said, you know, we're just playing a small part in this whole thing. And so if we can do our part, it makes a difference in local action with global implications. That's what we said. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Marshall Shorts and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Marshall and his work, including Creative Control Fest, through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Of course, thanks as always to our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and Creative Market. When it comes to email marketing, MailChimp makes it extremely simple. They have great reporting and autoresponder features, and you can send 12,000 emails to 2,000 subscribers for free. No contracts and no credit card required. Check them out at MailChimp.com. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names, and they give you exactly what you need to get the job done. Get yourself a new domain or transfer your current domains to Hover and save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code SPREADLOVE at checkout. And lastly, there's Creative Market, a marketplace that sells beautiful ready-to-use design content from thousands of independent creators from around the globe. Head over to creativemarket.com, pick up those six free goods that are available for free every Monday. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro is by Music Man Dre with intro audio by Yellow Speaker. The outro audio, This Is My Tape For You, is courtesy of Jimmy Square. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Leave a rating and a review. It really helps us get new listeners. It helps more people find out about the show. We'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like the work we're doing with the podcast and the website, then visit revisionpath.com forward slash donate and let us know. Leave a tip in our tip jar, sponsor an upcoming episode, or join at the $5 fist month level to show your ongoing support. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.